0: Welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy, episode 55, 5, five double nickel, 5-5, five, five, anybody, anybody, 5-5, five, five, anybody, 5-5, five, five, sold! At the time of this recording, Bitcoins are trading at $244 each, and everybody's favorite LTB coins are trading at 000234 U.S. dollars. Mmm, mmm, mmm. Now that's gravy. Welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy, and thanks for joining me today as I podcast from East Nashville, Tennessee, with my trusty Siberian Husky Maxwell by my side. Say hello, Maxwell. <laughs> We're two Bitcoin enthusiasts who love talking about Bitcoins and traveling the globe in search of interesting and compelling information about Bitcoin and about all things related here at the dawn of the age of cryptocurrencies. Thank you for being here once again. New listeners, welcome to the show. On today's show, I travel down under to Adelaide, Australia, to speak with Simon Edhouse, the CEO of BitTunes. BitTunes is reinventing global music distribution by creating a people-powered platform simon talks to us about how this platform allows p2p that's peer-to-peer file sharing to achieve its full potential as the optimal internet distribution mechanism and how he aims to monetize the exchange of digital data by the way simon is a man of conscience who has been following the legacy of his family in working for the greater good it's not just about making money folks sometimes it really is about doing what is right For humanity. All right, ladies and gentlemen, today on the show I am thrilled to welcome Simon Edhouse. Simon has a background in music, having played in bands in the 80s and 90s. He's also an award winning songwriter and composer. He has a background in film and video production, holography, and advertising as an ex Ogilvy and Mather managing director in Shanghai. After returning from China, he did a master's degree in science and technology commercialization, writing his thesis on future uses of digital currencies in 2006. And, of course, Simon is the CEO of BitTunes, BitTunes creating a people-powered platform to reinvent global music distribution. At the moment, he is based in Australia, but he is planning a move to London. Simon, welcome to Bitcoins and Gravy.
1: Thank you for the nice introduction. Yeah, BitTunes is, is my main thing that I've been involved in for a while. But to go back to what you were saying, the thesis that I wrote in 2006 was at the time considered very, very left field. I mean, the lecturers that I had just thought I was crazy because <laughs> they said this is completely hypothetical And I had a lot of trouble with them, actually, because of that. But for me, I've been witnessing what's been happening with peer-to-peer for a couple of years. Firstly, there was Napster, and then there was the plethora of kind of new music kind of P2P applications. Mm -hmm. But then right in the middle of that thesis, along came Skype. And that was so clearly a very influential thing because up to that point, peer-to-peer had been kind of stigmatised because it was associated with piracy. Mm -hmm. But then, then along comes Skype. And Skype says, basically, you know, we're going to completely change the telecommunications industry and sue us if you can, but you can't because we're not doing anything illegal. Right. That was really interesting for me because peer-to-peer, I'd already realized, was very powerful technology, but it doesn't have to be associated with with anything illegal.
0: Right, exactly. I think a lot of people still don't know that, but, you know, we're still at the very beginning, so it's understandable that a lot of people don't
1: understand that Mm -hmm. yet. Yeah, that's right, yeah. But having said that, that, one of the interesting things I often point out is that I differentiate what I call internet technologies with web technology. Um, the short way of saying that is the internet is not the web and the web is not the internet. Now, And the way to look at that is that the internet is twice as old as the web. The web is like an overlay that happened on top of TCPIP, which is the transport protocol of the internet.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, all of peer-to-peer applications sit on top of the transport protocol TCPIP. But then, you know, around uh, the very late 80s, early 90s came the web. But the web is just really, if you can visualize it, it's just the domain name system, the DNS system, mm-hmm. and browsers. You know, Internet Explorer, or first there was Mosaic, then there was Netscape, then mm-hmm. a dominance of Internet Explorer, then we had, of course, you know, Safari and Firefox and Chrome. Now, most people think that is the Internet, but really this is an overlay on top of the internet called the web
2: mm-hmm.
1: and Skype is not the web Skype is an application that sits on TCP IP it's mm-hmm. a P2P application same with a lot of the um, file sharing applications they're not websites simple way of looking at it they need a browser basically but what i reasoned back then and this was before the iphone before the app store before people were thinking about applications it, uh, it was more a time when a fashionable concept was software as a service and you had sites like um salesforce.com coming in and and taking the management of people's accounts in their businesses and putting it onto a web service. Uh, And that was the kind of the rage of the day. But what happened when Apple particularly launched the iPhone and then out came the App Store, it was a shift then towards applications again. Mm -hmm. Now, prior to that, you know, applications were, you know, P2P applications or etc. So what I reasoned back then was that The future just had to be an application-based future. And and the simple way of looking at that is um, that is where the people are empowered because the application happens on your device. Hmm. If you're um, using salesforce.com or a web service, the application is sitting on the server and you're a client you know you're sucking on the dummy you know to to this service that's coming down sent from a central point mm-hmm. when you've got applications on your computer you are in control of that application and when they get really dangerous as it were to the mainstream system is when those applications start talking to each other and don't need central control that's when it gets fun skype is partially that kind of application although they have some centrality but these kind of applications that empower end users that really seemed to me to be inevitable. And, uh, and of course, I looked at what you could do with applications like that. And one of the first or the biggest things that I thought, gee, wouldn't it be great if we could just have a peer to peer application that exchanged money. And so we kind of started to think about how that would come about and what would be involved and etc. And I wrote my thesis really on saying, this is inevitable. So when it comes, what are we going to be able to do with it? And I came up, basically, one of the major things that I thought of doing is is doing an independent music market that redefined how music was distributed, but in a legal way, so we could never be sued by the Record Industry Association.
0: These days, when people ask me, what's the point of Bitcoin? I don't understand this. What's the point of cryptocurrencies? We have money. We have credit cards, all of that. I say, listen, I can send across the country to you a photograph. I can send you a short film. I can send you some music. I can send you all of these things for free. Why can't I send you $5 as a tip on your birthday to say, hey, go get a pint of beer. It's on me. Why do I have to pay for that? And every time I ask somebody that question, it stumps them. They say, well, I don't, what do you mean have to pay? I say, well, there's always a third party. I can't just send that to you. And they don't have an answer. They don't understand it. And I say, well, the reason is because there are these third parties out there that want to get a cut of it, right? Yeah. And so Bitcoin is basically saying we want to set up something that allows people to be able to send a photo and $5 at the same time. And it only costs a couple of cents. No big deal. Nobody has to sweat over it. The $5 is probably not an attempt by a terrorist to launder money, right? So you have obviously an interest in Bitcoin, the protocol. but I have a quote from you. You said, we're not interested in making a profit from Bitcoin. We're interested in distribution of value to end users. And I loved that. I got that off of a video that I watched of you speaking.
1: Okay. So just rewind a little bit to what you were talking about, about the value you saw in Bitcoin. And that is that you that you're sending $5. I mean, that's just, let's make an analogy to that as saying in the old days, you made had wrote a letter and you that letter, then you put in the post box, and but you needed the postal service to get that letter from point A to point B, but now you send an email, and mm-hmm. okay, now and the email is far more direct and gives you the control that you can bypass the postal service, and of course, you know, an order of magnitude less postal items are being sent now than before because this new technology has come. The Bitcoin is really just like a five dollar note. I walk down the street and I give you a five dollar note and, for something, and you say, okay, thanks, and. Um, That's what Bitcoin is. It's just a direct exchange of something without having to go through multiple systems. It's just digital cash. Mm -hmm. But like everything, when something is new, people look to the current system and they say, look, at it. if it ain't broken, why fix it? Well, you know, I don't really want to get into an argument about why the current system is broken because it's it's pointless. You either see that it can be improved or you don't. If you don't, I'm not going to try and convince you. (laughs) What I tend to lean towards is to say, what can digital currencies do that current monetary systems cannot do? And then you're going to win the argument, you know. <laughs> and that's where what's happened in the ecosystem too. It's like things like remittances. Um, remittances are very expensive for the poorest people in the world. And if they can move towards a Bitcoin remittance model, they're going to save a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so things like that are, are no-brainers. But BitTunes is about taking the model further. You know, in a peer-to-peer application, you have digital bits and bytes of data that are going here and there. And what occurred to me very early on is if you've got a digital bits and bytes of data of an, of an MP3 or music file or, or whatever, going from point A to point B, and in actual fact, it's usually from a, a cluster of providers to one requester. So there's a number of people providing to one new requesting person. Mm-hmm. But because it's all digital and because it breaks up into tiny little proportions, Why can't we just match digital for digital in the sense that the digital money, which can be divided, as you know, Bitcoin can be divided into 100 million pieces. Mm -hmm. Uh, You just measure the amount of digital data that's going between these users on the internet, and then you reward them exactly in the amount proportionate to what they provided to the requesting user in digital money. Mm -hmm. Now, you just can't do that with conventional money because you've got to have banks involved and you've got third parties and you've got, you know, random clusters of people on the fly being called on to provide a file to a new requesting user and that, that assembly of those five or six providing users to the new requesting user is kind of convened in just a few split seconds and then the provision of that file is over in in about a a minute. Mm -hmm. So. How can you organize that through PayPal you know, or through or through Mastercard? You can't. No. These are the kind of things that Bitcoin is absolutely suited for and and real money that people use every day is absolutely not suited for.
0: Yeah, nicely it's, explained. Thank you. That was great.
1: It's the things that Bitcoin can do that other monetary systems can't do that are the no-brainers to actually start to explore. One of the problems in in the Bitcoin ecosystem is that you've got a lot of people who are trying to take the easy route. You know, they say, well, you know, we can replace banks blah, blah,
0: blah,
1: you know, that's, they're going to find a lot of resistance to that. (laughs) (laughs) You think so? Yeah, (laughs) I think so, from the bankers, for a start. (laughs) Absolutely,
0: yeah. You know, I love the optimism, though, in the Bitcoin world, especially among the younger people, you know, I'm 51 years old. Oh, wait, did my listeners know that prior to this moment? I think maybe (laughs) they did. Anyway, yeah, I'm 51, but you know, when I was 20 years old, um, I also hoped for a revolution in all of this and I still hope for a revolution of sorts but I think just in the same way that we have had this slow downward spiral into decay in so many different ways that we've seen in our country in the United States in my opinion I think it's going to be just as slow for us to fight the uphill battle to get back to level ground to where we are being treated fairly again and where the power is back in the hands of the people. I don't think it's going to happen overnight with Bitcoin. We take over the banks, we take over the government, and, we're all, no. No. and we've won the revolution in just a couple of short months or a couple of short years. It's not no. going to be that way. No. And for some reason, the powers that be in this world always have... I guess it's because they've been corrupted by power. They have this strong desire to subjugate people. I don't know what it is. It's the animal, right? It's the alpha dog. It's the something. I don't know yeah. what it is. But, so we have the good fight to fight until the end of time, I'm sure.
1: Yeah, so the message is fight battles where there's no opponent. I mean, hmm. if you're trying to take on the banks, well, you know, you've got a huge adversary there. And not only in the banks themselves, but all the people who are quite comfortable using the banking system who will argue to the black and blue in the face Mm -hmm. that, oh, well, why change a system that isn't broken, blah, blah. Why not do things with digital currencies where there is no analog in the real world? You know, there is no other thing that can do that particular function. So therefore, you've got clear air.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I like it.
1: Um, Being in a startup trying to work with new technology, it's hard enough. You know, it's hard enough with all of the challenges and trying to convince people of new things. Mm -hmm. But if you know that you're onto something that is like a no-brainer because it's just obvious, well, just hang on to it because eventually people will come around. I
0: Mm -hmm. agree. Now, before we get into BitTunes... I have a question. I'm really curious Mm -hmm. about this when it comes to microtransactions, because, you know, we believe that that could be the future for the Internet, right? Somebody writes an Mm -hmm. article and you tip them. They're already doing it with change tip. Yeah, they're already doing this. So you want to tip somebody five cents, you know, for my show. Sometimes someone will tip me and it's a dollar twenty five. That's great. I really appreciate it. Mm -hmm. But as far as these micro payments and these microtransactions, who fears that? You know, we know that the governments fear the money laundering, and I can appreciate that because we don't want terrorists or organized crime to do money laundering, even though it's rampant on Wall Street. (laughs) You know, as far as the microtransactions and the micro tipping of $0.50 or $0.05 or whatever, who is against that? Do you have any idea? Who fears that? Do banks fear that? Is it impossible to regulate?
1: I guess for me also, there's a very important point about microtransactions, and it's one that I feel like most people are just, again, not thinking about In the Bitcoin space, almost all talk of microtransactions is about users paying the microtransaction to business. And now there is in change tip, you can tip somebody else. But what about the reverse, which is what BitTunes is, which is business organizing payment of microtransactions to end users? You know, so that the flow is happening the opposite way. Most people think about microtransactions as a way to do, say, for instance, another way of doing a paywall where you can go to a website, it's a newspaper site, but rather than pay a monthly subscription, you're paying some X amount of satoshis for every page that you turn.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's just at a very small level and it doesn't really influence you much. But where is the flow going? The flow is going from the poor users, who I tend to be on the side of, mm-hmm. uh, toward Rupert Murdoch. Right do we need it to go that direction what about the other direction what about businesses providing micropayments down to end users for the things that end users are doing now what do end users do that it's of value how about distributing music mm. you know so it's a, it's a completely opposite way of looking at microtransactions but almost nobody is focusing on that because like i said in a startup often things are hard enough so people who entrepreneurs often tend to go for the low hanging fruit. Let's just do something that's existing in the marketplace and we can find a better way to do it with Bitcoin. So in my mind, I separate these into kind of, I call it type one and type two. Type one microtransaction is payments to business from punters, from the ordinary people. Type two is going the other direction. So your question is, who's threatened? Uh, Well, so if we're talking about type one, which payments from end users to business, well, I guess it's, the people who are providing you know kind of paywall systems and people who are providing that type of function now it's not like that is in any way a large slice of the banking industry or paypal or, or some of those larger uh, legacy players right so it's it's not really eating their lunch at the moment mind you i think that if it's going to be a large thing they want to be involved but if it's the reverse if it's the payment from business towards consumers Yeah, there's even less people even thinking about that. So that's why, again, we're doing it because it's wide open. You know, I tend to try and look for things where there's a lot of blue sky.
0: Nice. I like that. Now, of course, there are entities out there that BitTunes potentially threatens, models that it threatens, right?
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I think... I think they would look at us and just think that we resemble, you know, a few molecules on the back of a flea on the back of an elephant. You know, I mean, we're insignificant. In fact, it's true. I mean, we are so small compared to the legacy players in the ecosystem. And also there's been pretty dramatic shift in the way people are thinking In the industry about music in the last 10 years because what happened really is i mean even say eight to ten years ago everyone was still really worried about file sharing and music downloads but now you ask industry aficionados and they're just saying downloads are dead because of streaming so it's the streaming music applications which are the huge and growing phenomenon right but you survey hundred medium level artists, I don't think they're going to be that enamored with the streaming model because it's got a lot of problems in relation to remuneration to artists. They pay very poor royalties. Right. Coming from an artist background myself, I just look at streaming and I think, well, yeah, I want to take you down, you know, this, I don't like this, but it's really, truly a David and Goliath struggle. Mm -hmm. But you've got to think about the long term and think, well, you know, what makes sense? Does it really make sense for no one to own any music? I mean, it's a ridiculous argument, but I sometimes kind of feel like saying to people, what happens when the zombie apocalypse happens, you know, and and all the streaming music services go offline, Right. no one has any music anymore, you know, like, so music's dead, you know, I mean, I'm not serious. (laughs) But a lot of people talk about the apocalypse. Well, what about a Kickstarter project where you have solar powered MP3 players, and you make sure that you've got 10,000 of your favorite songs that even when the electricity grid goes down, you can still listen to them powered by solar. I mean, it's a ridiculous argument kind of, but then who knows, you know, (laughs) but what I mean is, do we really want to have a world where we're sucking on the nipple of, of some music provider who's telling us what we want to listen to? And if that was to go offline for whatever reason a nuclear war or God knows what, um, Bang, the music gets shut down. Right. And who has music anymore? Doesn't make sense to me. I mean, would we have had the Beatles? Would we have had the Sex Pistols if that had been the order of the day? Would we have had Nirvana? Would we have had these breakthrough moments in music? If you can imagine, look back at the last 30 years in music, music chugs along and you have eras like during the 70s, you have the disco era and everything is the same, everything is the same, everything is the same. All of a sudden, punk music comes along. Bang, everything changes. And in the 90s, Nirvana came along and just went bang, everything changes. Now, what's going on with the kind of effect that Spotify and Pandora have on the market? There are guys in the music industry who just look at the chord structures and the tempo of of music that's popular at different seasons of the year, and they just keep pumping out the same kind of music. Right. So is there going to be a Nirvana that's going to pop out of Spotify? I somehow doubt it.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the same thing happens in Nashville. We are very critical here, some of us, about the cookie-cutter music industry with the new country, as they call it, new country. Yeah. It's replacing the old country,
1: I suppose. It comes down to this word called curated, where you have uh, curated music services by what centralized group of people who think what's the best music for you or, you know, then you have, I give credit to Spotify in the sense that there's not a bunch of guys there in Finland or whatever, you know, who are saying, you should listen to this music. They're looking at what the patterns of music, that are being listened to and trying to match people with kind of what's called collaborative filtering. You see what this group of users are listening to and then you try and match those users. And if those guys over there like this music, well, maybe this guy who's a bit similar would probably like the same music. But that tends to homogenize everything as well. Mm-hmm. But um, let's get into the hypothetical future scenario and the one that I tend to always believe is possible and that is when we've all got intelligent devices in our pockets called iPhones or Android phones and these things are you know much more powerful than the computers that helped us land on the moon you know or much more powerful than even servers were 10-15 years ago. Mm -hmm. We've got very smart devices in our pockets. Now are these just slave devices that take their feed from higher above and then play songs or play this or play that? Or are these devices capable of being intelligent in terms of talking to other devices independently and curating by the wisdom of the crowd to each other in a way that has no semblance of centrality? Mm-hmm. That's what I'm interested in. What I'm interested in is putting the data sorting processes of recommendation right down on the user in the user's pocket and getting the hell out of that as a business. I don't want to be in that. I want users to be totally in control of that. And you know what, for business, that's kind of anathema. Most businesses who are involved in this area would just look at that concept and go, whoa, 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 whoa. No, we can't have that. We can't have the users in control. Right. My thesis in 2006 was it basically came up with the final kind of conclusion of how do you make an internet business where you let go of almost all control, but still maintain just enough control to make a good business model but you've got to give away a lot of control to the users. And curation and wisdom of the crowd curation powered by all users would therefore be kind of privacy protective. All of the interest data of those users can't be monetized by Facebook or Google because it's not available to them. That's what's exciting.
0: I like that. And to go from that into your mission statement, I think is appropriate. It says to create a platform that allows P2P, that's peer-to-peer file sharing, to achieve its full potential as the optimal internet distribution mechanism, and to do so by monetizing the exchange of digital data. Yeah. I love that. So maybe you could walk us through an example of how BitTunes would work.
1: I guess my mind immediately just goes to the fact that you've got this file, and it's requested by somebody, and those people over there have that file. Well, they start providing pieces of that file to the new requesting user because they each have the same file and that file just gets hashed into little tiny blocks and everyone starts providing, you know, block one, two, three, four, five, six in various order mm-hmm. until the requesting user has all of the blocks and then all the blocks filter in until that requesting user has All of the blocks necessary to make up the mp3 Mm -hmm. or the digital file and then bingo he's got it now each of those tiny pieces were provided by those people they get rewarded for what they provided to me i've been talking about this model for a while so it's fairly straightforward but the thing about peer-to-peer technology is that there's all these other wonderful things that you can do with it, like the idea that I was talking a minute ago about. The endgame plan for BitTunes is the embedding of songs, the ownership of songs in, in a blockchain that protects the rights of the producer of the song. In other words, it's a, it's a kind of certified copyright system in a sense that even though copyright has a lot of baggage and a lot of people who are in the kind of piracy, anti or what's called the copyright left you know, they don't like the idea of copyright, but let's grab hundred musicians and say to them, what do you think of copyright? Well, they want their rights to the song they've written sure. to be certified somehow. They're all very interested in having that. Now, do we want that being in walled gardens of, of rights organizations all around the planet who charge artists for that? Or can we put all that in a blockchain? You absolutely can put it in a blockchain. So putting the song ownership into a blockchain let's call that tier 1 now tier 2 sitting above that is the transactions in the relation to that ownership of that song who bought it when and all of that kind of transaction and purchase data now that again can be put into a blockchain look blockchains are very good at some things and they're not very good at other things but one of the things blockchains are quite good at is being able to map the transactions between entities of something because something was sold to this person then sold to that person and this person was involved in that person mm-hmm. blockchain can do that very well so you've got tier one is ownership of songs tier two is the transaction history of music mm-hmm. well right there you've got incredible basis for tier three because you've got tier one being the article and very necessary proving of the ownership of that article of the song by the artist in a way that is obvious way to not have that become a proprietary property of a rights organization, but everybody's property. Mm -hmm. Right? Now, the second thing of all the transaction history, make that everybody's property too. So you can go and find out, you can go and dig down into that blockchain. And yes, there's proof. I bought that song. Therefore I can download it again. I bought it once. I'm not, don't have to buy it again. Mm -hmm. You know, I can just go and download it that and the proof of that is in the blockchain. Mm -hmm. Now tier three is where it gets really interesting because if you have tier one and tier two, Tier 3 lets you look at if these people bought it, but there's a guy over here that shares similarity to those people, he's probably going to want to have that song too because it's his musical taste. But that level is not something prescribed by Spotify or, or Pandora or whatever. It should be happening on a level that is controlled by the user. In other words, collaborative filtering or recommendation powered completely in a privacy-protective way on the user level. All of those things can happen in the future of BitTunes, in the future of uh, BitTunes blockchain model, and you know that stuff is is way way beyond what's available now.
0: So in tier three, that is where the users keep giving the thumbs up, and then the other people who are using the platform are able to look and see, oh wow, this is very popular. Is that what you're saying about tier three? Uh,
1: I'm trying to be kind of vague about tier three because there's some pretty interesting technology that I don't really want to describe in too great a detail, but I can talk generally about it. One of the ways of thinking about it is that, and and just by your question back to me was a question that was saying, well, so users are going to be able to do this and then look to see who's like them. And actually, you know, when you get to technologies like this, there's a concept in computer science we call machine logic. And that is when things happen kind of automatically because you don't really need to involve the user in, in a recommendation if it's, Come from data that's that's there available, and there are parallels or synergies between those disparate elements of data that can be then mined. Now this gets into what's called big data, but you know, as soon as I hear that word big data, immediately in my mind is like, well, okay, big data, who owns it? (laughs) Right? Uh, You know what I mean? (laughs) I. I'm interested in big data that's owned by the people and giving the people tools that mine and use machine logic between each other and their devices as privacy protective to deal with all of that big data because the big data belongs to them, mm-hmm. you know? Now, you look at Google's business model. We're all typing search queries into Google or we're all putting our intimate lives on Facebook. Who owns that? You know, who owns all the searches going into Google? I mean Google has, has co-opted them, right. but well, who created them? You know, We create that stuff um, and it makes a ridiculous amount of money for Facebook and Google. But it's user data given willingly by users. So mm-hmm. if you look at a paradigm that is about a possible future paradigm, what about when you have systems that are really independent of these great big monopolies like Google and Facebook? And you push the ownership of big data down to the user level, well, then you have created a completely new paradigm. Mm -hmm. And now there are new business models that can flourish on top of that, because of course you can provide services to these people, et cetera. But why not give them the power to be able to have something, a device in their pocket that automatically is giving recommendations to new songs, but... That recommendation has not come from a proprietary company that's got them paying 30 euros a month or $30 a month just to subscribe.
0: Right. You're saying that information, that recommendation is coming from the other users.
1: Yeah. Coming from the other users and powered by a global P2P system, powered by all the devices networking with each other. Why not? Absolutely, completely possible. But what company, what big company wants to actually make themselves irrelevant by instituting a system like this? Google's not going to do it. Facebook's not going to do it.
0: No. Okay. So if I'm one of the people using BitTunes down the road, let's say five years from now, and I recommend or I give the thumbs up to a song, basically I just put it out there that I like this song. Do I get anything in return for saying that I like that song?
1: In a system like this, because it's privacy protective, you wouldn't even need to say, I like that song. The fact that you like that song, it it means that you're part of a club in a sense of people who are, I can see no reason why they wouldn't be willing to be part of that system because the quid pro quo, if you like, or the the benefit of it is if you're sharing things you like, then other people are benefiting from knowing the things that you like and you're benefiting from knowing the things that they like. And therefore, in an environment like that, you've got something that's akin to kind of natural selection because you've got, you know, new memes and new things that will pop up and suddenly become popular and that will spread virally, just like things like this do. Mm-hmm. But it's like the commons. It's a, it's the benefit of all being involved in something and all benefiting from it.
0: Right. So you're saying that just my listening to the song is an indication that I am giving a thumbs up to the song, that I like the song.
1: Yeah. If you're playing that song around and round, well, mm-hmm. if this was uh in another platform, let's just hypothetically talk about videos, right? Maybe you're playing a video around and round, but the video is a little bit how we say, adult-rated, maybe, or, sure, <laughs> if you know sure. what I mean? Yeah. You know, like, content is personal, right? Whether it's music or whether it's, I mean, someone could be like that band, you know, Niggas with Attitude or whatever, you know, it's like there are a lot of swear words and there's a lot of this and that. It's personal. I mean, sure. the fact that I'm listening to that round and round, maybe I don't want everyone to know that. Right. And Or maybe I'm watching a video, and maybe it's, it's political, too. Look at Iran. Look at countries around the world where what you listen to or what you watch is a matter of life and death, and you can get into a lot of trouble. So these things are personal, and there are big implications. In the West, we take those things for granted, but what I listen to and what I consume is essentially, uh, should be private. And there's a great way for having this, if you make an architecture that by default keeps it all private, but uh, exchanges that information and that big data on a safe level between users, and then that whole system just, helps each user see what's trending or what's popular or what's not, Mm -hmm. but without identifying any particular user. In other words, you know, I could say that, you know, a model like this, the entity that's controlling it, because there has to be some sort of organization behind it that's facilitating it, we want to know what you're interested in. We we don't care who you are. Mm -hmm. We don't want to know who you are. We just want to know what you're interested in so that it can be part of a system that can help. Uh, educate other people about things that are trending now.
0: I love the whole idea. And, you know, someone might think, hey, okay, well, you get this thing up and running and we like you. We know that you're a nice guy. You've got integrity. But what's going to stop Google or Mark Zuckerberg from buying this from you and then making sure that they can figure out who's watching what and listening to what? How do we know that since this is basically something that, you know, your company would own, and it's therefore centralized, how can we be certain that it's not just going to get sold down the river?
1: I've been very, very aware of exactly that issue right from the very beginning, and that is that it's all about who I am and who we are as a, as a company and what's our end aim. And I can just say right from the beginning, that idea of doing a trade sale to any large company, to me, is just out of the question for something Mm -hmm. like this. You cannot sell your soul. You can't build up this thing into a great big phenomenon and then go and sell it to Google, no matter how many bloody billions and billions and billions of dollars they offer. No, wait, you're
0: you're telling me that if Mark Zuckerberg... Today offered you five billion dollars plus. I wouldn't the, ta- I wouldn't take. Plus the five prettiest Chinese women that, and Mexican women that he could get a hold of. You're telling no. <laughs> me, and that might no. be a Zuckerberg trade. I don't know the guy that well, but he's, <laughs> he seems a little whack to me. But <laughs> are you telling me that that you wouldn't no, take that?
1: <laughs> I wouldn't take it. I would. I would not take it. But you know, the reason is, by the way, because there's another alternative, and that's called a people's IPO. You know, to go save it for the IPO mm-hmm. and then let it float, but also make it float on the stock exchange in such a way that no corporation can ever own more than 10%.
0: Nice. I love it.
1: Okay. So therefore the people will buy in, but Mark Zuckerberg in the articles of incorporation of the company, no corporation like Google or Facebook could ever own more than say 10% of the company. So they never could have a controlling interest.
0: I like it. Can you get more specific in the articles and say, and specifically, Mark Zuckerberg cannot even own cannot even own one percent. Can you do that? I mean, because the guy oh, the guy has too much already. I mean, well, come exactly. On. Look, you know,
1: this is one of the great problems with capitalism, too. Isn't it obvious? I mean, doesn't everyone realize this this endless growth mentality that feeds capitalism? I mean, what is the point? What is the point? How many? Trillions or billions do you need to have to feel secure? I mean, enough's enough,
0: you know. The counter argument to that is kind of a Randian, and by that I mean Ann Rand, not my favorite person Mm. (laughs) in the world, but the counter to that is Ann it's like, who are you to say that there should be a cap on what anybody makes? Shouldn't anybody be allowed to make absolutely as much as they want to from now until the end of time? And I counter that with well, the only problem with that is usually those people who are doing that are stepping on people and hurting people, whether it's the environment or people or Whatever They're almost always, when they get up to making billions and billions, they're almost always doing something, if it's not blatantly nefarious, it's something that a massive group of people disapprove of. For instance, I am one among millions of people, tens of millions of people, who understands what Facebook is really doing. The majority of cattle, you know, the sheeple, they really don't have any idea what the business model of Facebook is. That is, gather all this free information from all these suckers and sell it off to the highest bidder. And when you take that kind of model, and I don't know where else he's selling it, I don't know who else he might be corroborating with in terms of governments or what have you, right? I mean, we don't know that, but- We do, actually. <laughs> we do. Oh, we do? Oh. We do.
1: Yeah, we do know that they're doing that, and it's wrong. And look, but getting back to the monetary side of things, someone said recently, I think it was at Davos, you know, that they said that, you know, it's now half the world's wealth is owned by 1% of the population or something, or it's just wrong, and you only have to look at or the pressure being put austerity measures in europe etc greece yeah yeah and greece i mean it's like the fact is that all the money that greece borrowed that got them into so much trouble where did that all end up it ended up you know into the pockets of the oligarchs and the corrupt government officials etc but it's the people that end up having to carry the can that's right and so you know i mean there's a lot of inequity my background is and you know a lot of people in the u.s this might sound crazy but i mean my grandmother was a communist you know but i come from a very left-wing family and let me say, she's actually a middle-class girl. She grew up in a very middle-class family, but she reacted to that, mm. joined the Communist Party. But I think this is in Melbourne in Australia in the 1920s. Mm. She didn't know what communism was, but she just was reacting against the uh, hypocrisy she saw in the, in the wealthy classes. She had servants in her house when she was a child. This is my grandmother. So she, I came from a very left-wing family. My parents were left-leaning people as well. I tell you, my, as an adult, my battle for the last thirty years is actually feeling okay about being a businessman because that was almost a dirty word in my family. You know, like I come from a background that is very social action oriented and very um, you know toward empowering the people. Hmm. I've had to find that middle ground, which is what can I do in life that is about that I can make money and I can and feed my family, etc., and have a have a reasonable life, but at the same time not go against the principles of, of my, the heritage of my family, which is all about the greater good and not just becoming richer and richer and richer. I mean, you know, I, I think if I make a few million in my life, um, do I need to have 10 million or 20 million or 100 million? I mean, I don't think so. The people who feel like that, I mean, they must be incredibly insecure, you know. Um, I think, you know, you put on the planet to do certain things and for me it's about... There's a lot of inequity at the moment and there are very few people who are really seriously taking on the challenge of trying to work out how to make more equitable systems. And at the moment, bitunes is, like I said, the molecule on the back of a flea on the back of an elephant. with are nothing. But the users who are there who do understand the principles on which we've founded and where we're planning to go, you know, they're very enthusiastic because they know our hearts in the right place and our intentions are good and as we grow um, we'll find backers and venture capitalists who resonate with our model yes like i said you don't have to have a trade sale to have an exit you can have a public exit in such a way that i'm describing Mm -hmm. and and those vcs can still make you know a huge multiples on their investment but in the end game is something that i think makes much more sense which is get there by empowering people rather than ripping them off.
0: I agree, Simon. Very well spoken, sir. Very commendable. Mm. So tell us a little bit more about BitTunes. How many people do you have on your team and what do you see as the future coming up over the next, let's say, five-year period of time for BitTunes?
1: Okay. So we've got about three developers in our team and and a couple of business and coordination people. We're very much kind of bootstrapping at the moment. I've put something like 150000 Australian dollars into this project out of my own money uh, since the beginning. And that's why BitTunes exists. Um, we've had approaches from different people about how to finance BitTunes. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those were altcoin kind of plays, wanting us to be BitTunes coin and blah, blah. I mean, which I, I completely resisted because those models are very sus. So I've been holding out for doing it the proper way. I think what we're doing at the moment is actually what we call a minimum viable product, which proves the principle. It shows what BitTunes can be and it's gathering momentum. But the next step is really about scaling up to a tier one kind of what we were talking about tier one and tier two, which is like a blockchain implementation for song rights and ownership, and then mapping and recording transaction histories. Then we've got a whole lot of other technology about recommendation, which I've been describing before, which we just can't wait to put on top of this. But one of the things about being a startup is that, you know, you've got to walk before you can run. If you try and go too fast, if you try and get ahead of yourself, you'll get burned and you'll go down in flames. And it's just you have to know your limits and you have to just go as and when Luckily, we've got a great team of people who make big sacrifices in terms of wages, etc., to just keep on maintaining the system as it is. And we're out there talking to people at the moment about helping us finance the next level. Mm -hmm. You've got to find the right backers. There are people who will understand where we're coming from, who will resonate and uh, support us. That's one of the reasons why I'm moving to London. Most of the team will be moving there because at at the moment, one of the comments we get from uh, investors who we're talking to is, and I quote, it's a pity you're in Australia.
0: Hey, what are you doing out in the bush? What are you doing out in the bush? What are you
1: doing around the wrong <laughs> side of the planet? You know, nothing's ever going to happen down there, and it's just—it's sad, but it's true. Even you know, living in Sydney, you're still provincial compared to London or Silicon Valley, and yeah, it's just—you wow. just will mm-hmm. not bump into the people who can help you.
0: No, that's really true. Simple as that. Okay, so Simon, if you would walk us through BitTunes. Uh, where do we start? From the time that we upload a tune, can you walk us through it?
1: When you upload a song to BitTunes, the song is available everywhere on the planet and there is no boundary. Um, One of the things about music systems around the planet, they're very much tied to rights and royalties regimes and uh, we use a Creative Commons licence and we just basically check that every song, if it's really by the the writer of that song, the owner of that song is uploaded to BitTunes, then we can use the Creative Commons license to make that song available to be purchased anywhere, whether it's Russia or China or North Korea, or does, it doesn't matter. As long as that person has Bitcoin, they can buy that song because there is no rights uh, regime uh, saying, I can be sold in Singapore, but it can't be sold in Malaysia. It can not be sold in, you know, Thailand, but not in Burma. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, now, Bitcoin is very young. Bitcoin is... At the very beginning, but it will grow. Now, the other way of looking at this is a simple uh, understanding of demand and supply. There is 21 million Bitcoins ever going to be available. Okay. At the moment, there's like 12 million in circulation or whatever. They've lost mm-hmm. about a million of them. But that equals if the population of Australia, if everyone in Australia is around 21 million people in Australia, if everyone had one Bitcoin, that's all of them gone. Mm-hmm. Well, There are 6 billion people in the world. It doesn't take a genius to work out that over time, those 21 million Bitcoins are going to get divided among many more than 21 million people. Mm -hmm. You know, it's going to be maybe hundreds of millions of people that will have Bitcoin. That means that those little Satoshis or those little tiny percentages of Bitcoin that you might be earning from trading your song in BitTunes, now, at current exchange rate, it's very small. But those little percentages that you're earning now, keep them inside your royalty wallet inside BitTunes uh, and don't trade them out because in three to five years, you know, you could be sitting on a nice little nest egg. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm not one of those people that, that says to the moon, Bit- Bitcoin is going to be worth 10000 I don't want to second guess the value. But it doesn't, like I said, it doesn't take a genius to work out. You've got a finite supply mm-hmm. and you've got something which is uh, the US government can't, just print billions of new Bitcoins every month because they want to uh, feed the money supply. Mm -hmm. That's not going to happen. This is the opposite. But like everything, when you're young, you don't really have the the benefit of having seen uh, things go for years uh, and the twists and turns of the way history evolves. But I can tell you, you know, I remember the 1980s. There, there were no mobile phones. There were no. Uh, I had an analog reel-to-reel tape recorder. There was no d- mm-hmm. digital. Digital anything didn't exist. And we had to go from a reel-to-reel tape recorder to a cassette to make a, a dub of a song. And when we did, we lost fidelity. Oh, yeah. You know, I remember when digital came in, it was a revolution. Okay, and then I remember when the web came in. These things didn't happen overnight. They each took 5, 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. So so let's just keep it in proportion. Bitcoin has only been really hit the mainstream in the last year or two. Mm-hmm. And that that's just a, a, a second, you know. Right. So, so time will go by anyway. And over three to five years, the world is going to change a lot. And at some point, Bitcoin will become very valuable. So I would rather be earning my royalties in Bitcoin uh, in a world where everybody can buy it from mm-hmm. any country without any limitation, yeah. and to get in on the ground floor, so that you're one of the early people, because as more and more people discover BitTunes, we don't have the kind of catalog that's available in Spotify, etc. Et but you know what? You put your song into Spotify, you're going to get lost in the noise. That's right. You put your song into BitTunes, you have a very, very high chance of being discovered
0: because there are very few people starting out.
1: Yeah, as soon as People buy that song, the people who have previously bought it uh, get rewarded in small payments because they are providing the song to the new requesting user. And uh, so the way to operate in t- BitTunes, by the way, is a very, it's not just about song trading. There's communication features in BitTunes. There's people can make offers and requests, and there's a kind of t- a Twitter kind of like stream where you can communicate to other musicians. You can communicate directly. To your fans, if you're a band, and you can communicate, if you're a fan, you can communicate directly to the musicians, and all of those social features will just keep on growing and growing. What happens with BitTunes is, when somebody buys a song, the algorithm in BitTunes will immediately look for five previous buyers of the song to provide parts of that song to the new requesting buyer. Okay. And the way in which those five are selected depends on various circumstances. In Um, At the moment in BitTunes, it's very likely that you will be selected because there are not that many users. Over time, the algorithm is weighted towards the more you are a good citizen inside of BitTunes, in other words, if you're logging on every day and if you're rating songs and doing things and being part of the ecosystem, you're therefore more likely to be chosen as one of the five providers of a song to the new requesting user. And we're tweaking this all the time, but what it means is we're trying to find a way that rewards good citizenship in this ecosystem. At the moment, there are two levels of uh, cost or price of, of a song in the system. There's uh, if songs are on our top 100s, they're valued at one US dollar. And if songs are outside top 100s, they're at 50 cents. Now, why we use US dollars and as an indicator of value is that people are very familiar with that. If I try to give that price in in Bitcoin, people would go, what is zero point zero one six nine five one, you know, Bitcoin, right? But we we show both together. But what that means is that the primary currency of BitTunes is Bitcoin. So it's floating up and down all the time. But and and whenever a song is purchased, we ping the exchange rate of Bitcoin and we measure the exact exchange rate at that exact moment. So for people when they say, for instance, put um, 10 US dollars into their trading account in BitTunes, they might notice that that goes up and down with the price of Bitcoin.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so Bitcoin is goes down lower, suddenly they've got $8 in there instead of 10 and they buy a few songs and it goes down. But then Bitcoin starts to rise. Well, all of a sudden they've got $15 in there. And they, how did that happen? Because our primary currency is Bitcoin. Okay, so the percentage goes like this. So if it's in the top 100 and the song is priced at $1, Uh, $0.40 of that song goes immediately to the artist Mm -hmm. as a copyright owner. And the other $0.40, another $0.40 is split amongst the people who are providing the song to the requesting user. And BitTunes takes 20%, which is $0.20 out of the dollar. But the interesting thing about this is that what's happened in BitTunes lately is as more and more songs have gone into the system, many of the songs in the system now are not priced at a dollar, they're priced at 50 cents. When a song is valued at 50 cents, half of that goes to the artist and the other half is divided amongst the users. So what will happen over time is the vast majority of songs on BitTunes network will be at 50 cents. Mm -hmm. But as they get more popular... They rise up they rise up and then when they get into a top 100 they double in price and so therefore the idea is buy early buy when it's 50 cents when you think it's going to be a song tell your mm-hmm. friends about it it goes up it goes up and then it goes to a dollar and mm-hmm. then more people start buying it because they say ah this is a popular song it's going to get more popular mm-hmm. um but us as a company we take only when it gets on top 100 so therefore we're not interested in what we call the long tail of music where things are valued at 50 cents, we, d- we take it at the valuable end of the, of the long tail because we're providing a service to feature those songs on the top 100s.
0: Okay, so the artists putting their music out there, they're going to get paid whenever it's downloaded. Instantly. And if I download a song on there, am I always going to get paid a little something?
1: Not always, no, because it depends on various factors. Early in the system you're very likely to get paid often, because the system always looks for five providers of a song to provide to the new requesting user. But as the system gets larger and larger and larger, that good citizen algorithm, if you like, what what I'm describing is more and more more important because Mm -hmm. the system will be looking for five users all the time for every time it it wants to provide a song. It will not choose the same five users every time. It will choose different five users. But the basis on which ones are chosen, we worked a lot on this problem, mm-hmm. um, which is how to choose those users. If it was completely flat and the distribution fanned out, uh, then no one would make any money because everyone right. would have the same same likelihood of being chosen. So therefore the system sounds fair, but the system wouldn't work because no one would ever experience making a profit on a song hmm. so you've got to weight it in some way so that there are waiting mechanisms that's w-e-i-g-h-t you know so there are things that give a weighting to certain behavior because then like if you're not an active user and you're not rating the songs and you're not returning very often well you know chances are you're not going to get chosen that often but if you are you will but then what we've done is also create a system when we choose five users, because we have a probability index that helps choose these, uh, the most likely people to be chosen. Mm -hmm. But then of the five users that are chosen, we automatically choose two from newbies, people who've just entered the system, wow. so to give them some encouragement. Um, so we've thought very hard on trying to make a system that is as fair as possible. It rewards good behavior in the system, mm-hmm. um, but but it also gives some incentive to people who have just entered the system and haven't managed to develop that kind of reputation behavior yet.
0: Man, I love it. This is cool. Now, when can I start using this? I got an email from someone that works for you who's in right. China, I believe, right? Yeah,
1: That's right. Yeah, yeah.
0: Right, and she sent me an email that said your song, which is Ode to Satoshi, your song yeah. is now available on BitTunes, is that right?
1: Yep, yeah, it's right there. You go into new songs on BitTunes and it's sitting on top.
0: Okay, I love that, man. So,
1: <laughs> so I can start earning money for my… Um, and you, you have already. You have already, by the way. I saw really? somebody purchased um, purchased that song just the other day. So you got some royalties sitting in your account. Oh wow,
0: that's great! So I should put a call out, listeners worldwide. Go to, Bit <laughs> to go to BitTunes immediately and download "Ode to Satoshi," the official Bitcoin song. Do that oh, now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Wow, that's exciting, man. So now what do I do from here? Is there a wallet that collects my royalties for me? Can I take the Bitcoin? Can I take the Satoshis and the Bitcoins? Can I take those away from that wallet, out of that wallet anytime I want to?
1: You can indeed. You can transfer them out. But my advice is not to because uh, one of the things, the the Bitcoin network kind of punishes small transfers. If you're transferring $10 million, the transfer fee is insignificant. But if you're Mm -hmm. transferring... You know, five cents or 20 cents, you can have a little transfer fee and it and it takes a while to get through the network. So it's kind of smarter to leave your uh, royalties uh, in your royalty account. I mean, if you go to com, there's a, and just look at that webpage on the very top, you see a graphic that shows the transaction page inside BitTunes and you'll see an earning account and deposit account. and your deposit account is where you put your money in and your earning account shows the royalties you've been earning recently i transferred i my earning my deposit account went down to kind of zero uh, because i'd spent the bitcoins but then i my earnings account had you know five u.s dollars in it from all of the royalties that i've been earning so i just transferred that five u.s dollars back into my uh, trading accounts so i could buy more songs so that's yeah that's the way BitTunes works
0: okay so somebody can go right now and they can download the BitTunes app onto their android phone is it also available on iphones
1: apple is a bit of a problem you know
0: but well, we know they, that we know that
1: yes. <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh, for two reasons one they first of all they didn't want to let any bitcoin apps on, on um right on the app store but then they let a few in but then we started to notice that they're pulling lots of legitimate music applications out of the app store as well because they don't want competition for their own music application so
0: and all i have to say to apple is you dirty rats you but okay so let's see someone downloads the app onto their android phone which if you don't have an android phone folks listen turn in your iphone right now and get an android phone <laughs> it's a superior phone in many ways yeah. i recommend the galaxy s5 the camera mm-hmm. alone is a good reason to go over from the iphone so then they can go to the what google play store and they can
1: download the app we're still officially in in our beta programs simply just if you go to the BitTunes website there's a link right on the front page is just join the community so go to the bitunes.com page join the community once you apply to join the community then you can go to the play store through that link the way google run this is that there's a few little hurdles to jump over that is when you go to the community you've got to use the same browser that you tend to use with your gmail okay and then that will tell google that you are you know, this person. And then when you go through our community to the, because that'll take you to the app store, but it's like a little chapter of the app store that is kind of authorized through that beta community. And then you can just download the BitTunes app and away you go.
0: Nice. Wow, that is easy. So com is where people can go. Can you also tell our listeners other ways that they can get in touch with you?
1: There's BitTunes.com, which is basically just yeah it's kind of what we call a kind of brochure site it's not really an interactive site but it will be it will be where the top all the top 100s will be displayed um more information about BitTunes on org, which has got deeper information about the philosophy and the history and and how the project came about um but I think one of the best ways is to join it, even if you don't have the Android app and are unable to download it, still join the community because you'll see the chitter-chatter by all of the users and the issues that are coming up and discussions about what we're doing, et cetera.
0: All right. Well, listeners, we've been listening to Simon Edhouse from Adelaide, Australia. Simon is the CEO of BitTunes, creating a people-powered platform to reinvent global music distribution this charge is being led by simon edhouse simon thank you so much for being on the show
1: thank you i've really enjoyed it
0: it's been great oh good and let me ask you before we go what's the weather like there in adelaide
1: Ah oh, man it's like okay will it's 30 35 degrees 36 degrees today which which is i think somewhere around 100 fahrenheit over, oh wow. you know, in in u.s terms so yeah it's it's stinking hot outside so it's almost
0: 8.30 p.m. here in Nashville. What time is it there? in, in Adelaide? Uh, It's
1: just 12.51, almost 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and oh. uh, it's like, don't go outside. It's too hot.
0: <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, what I don't understand about the time change thing is that there's that 30 minutes. I've never seen that before. There's that odd 30 minutes oh, there. Yeah.
1: But it's just the same as New York and, like, between New York and California, you've got a few hours, right?
0: We've got a few hours, but we don't have half hours.
1: <laughs> okay, well, Okay. We yeah, we divide it. We've got Eastern Time, then we've got Central Time, then we've got Western Time. Western Time is Perth, Central Time is Adelaide and Darwin, and then Eastern Time is Melbourne, Sydney, and Brisbane. But the other thing, is, by the way, is here, it's Tuesday.
0: Ah. okay. <laughs> and
1: you're, you're still in Monday.
0: Still in Monday, man.
1: <laughs> yeah, we're, we're in Tuesday already. The international date line's in the middle of the Pacific, so that the day starts in the middle of the Pacific, goes around the world, and eventually comes around i think americans hate that i know that that you you get the day at the end of
0: oh no i think i think the only reason americans don't like it is because australia is ahead of us in something, right?
1: <laughs> that's God, what i mean God, and we, don't like it. It, and we don't like it because the new zealanders are slightly ahead of us
0: <laughs> oh no not those guys <laughs> all right hey simon thank you so much for being on the show and uh, i would love to have you back on here in a couple of months maybe six months and we can find out an update about bit tunes bit tunes very exciting stuff man
1: Yeah, we'll be launching a a really interesting project soon, but I can't talk about it just yet. But sometime in the next few months, I'll let you know. Okay, yeah, please keep me informed. Okay. Okay, thanks so much. Cheers.
0: Cheers. Thanks, Simon. Bye.
1: Bye.
0: I know that it may sound absurd, but I have for you a magic word. And today the magic word is tunes, T U N E S. As in the sentence, I am so excited about BitTunes and how it is reinventing global music distribution by creating a people-powered platform.
2: Now climb aboard, y'all. This train is bound for glory. And there's plenty of room for all. ¶¶ A virtuality, a promise to deliver us from age-old tyranny. A bitcoin as you're going into the old blockchain. A bitcoin, I know you're gonna rain, gonna rain. Till everybody knows, everybody knows, till everybody knows your name. Till everybody knows, everybody knows, till everybody knows your Give me some exposure. Everybody knows your name, singing, oh Lord. Pass me some more, oh Lord, before I have to go, oh Lord, pass me some more, oh Lord, before I
0: I'd like to thank my guest on the show today, Simon Edhouse, the CEO of BitTunes. BitTunes is not just about making money, folks. It's about doing what is right for humanity. In the end, it makes so much more sense to get there by empowering people rather than ripping them off. Simon, we are glad that you are at the helm of BitTunes, and we are behind you 150%. You can find more information about BitTunes in the show notes. And I'd like to give a thank you to Maria Jones with Cointelegraph. Maria, thank you so much for getting me my tickets. And thank you very much, Mr. and Mrs. Snow, for your generous offer. And thank you for your generous offer as well, Mr. Malone. I will see you guys in Texas here at the end of March. The texas bitcoin conference is in my opinion the best bitcoin conference in north america each year and i am really looking forward to meeting a lot of new people having some good food a couple of cold beers and maybe getting a chance to play ode to satoshi for everyone austin texas here i come if you've enjoyed the show today please take a minute to leave a comment on let's talk bitcoin in the comments section right there below the show notes. You can also leave a message on SoundCloud or do the old-fashioned thing and send me an email. And of course, Bitcoin and Litecoin tips are always appreciated by the hardworking writers and podcasters in the Bitcoin world. Many of us work as volunteers and sure could use those tips. Signing off now from East Nashville, Tennessee, I'm your host, John Barrett, with my trusty companion, Maxwell, by my side, Say goodbye, Maxwell. Y'all be good to each other out there now. And remember, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men and women to do nothing.